What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Switch Up Sports coming to you on what is a Friday, and you know what that means. It is College Football Friday. I'm ready to dive into three games that I see fit for tomorrow's full slate of college football. But before we get into any of that, you already know you got to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as give a like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, and YouTube. So, it is a Friday. It is College Football Friday. We've got an all-day full of football tomorrow on the slate with just a boatload of games. That's the best part about college football. You get games from 11 a.m. pretty much to 11 p.m. You can watch football. It's awesome. I love it. College football because the thing about the NFL, it is great, but you know there are only 32 teams in the NFL, and starting in week five, you have four teams that have buys each week, which bumps it down to 28, and you only have 14 games. You can't watch all 14 games because you normally, unless you have a certain football thing, you sometimes can see the red zone, whatever it may be, but with college football, you've got games that start at 11, and then you've got a few other games that'll start at 12, but then you've got the 2.30 game, then you've got a 6 game, then sometimes there's a late game. You get games Thursday, um, really, you can start on Wednesday, so you get kind of one game Wednesday, you get a game sometimes two on Thursday, and you get two, three games Friday, and then all day Saturday. It's awesome. College football is just addicting to watch. You can sit there and watch it all day, and where we got to start off is with the number two and three teams in the nation in what is going to be an absolute showdown in Tuscaloosa. You got Georgia visiting the powerhouse in Alabama. Now, Nick Saban is out for this game, and that has been pretty much the only talking point that has happened. So Nick Saban coming down with COVID, not going to be actually on the sidelines for the game on Saturday. But here is the thing with that. He still was talking to the guys all week with practice. There's Zoom, there's phone calls, there's FaceTime. He was not, just because he wasn't on the field doesn't mean that he was not an influence. The same way is going to be for on Saturday. Just because he's not on the sidelines does not mean that he's not going to be in the headset of those coaches. I guarantee you they're going to have him. He's going to have his own separate stream. He's going to have certain things set up. And honestly, Nick Saban with uh, kind of a flyover over the top view because, you know, head coaches are always down on the sidelines. They don't see the same thing. Sometimes, you know, that the offensive coordinator, they sit up in the booth um, or sometimes a defensive coordinator. That's going to be very, very different. So Saban, yes, he's not going to be on the field. He's not going to be able to say things directly to people. But what he can do is he can just tell his coaches, I guarantee he's going to be in the headset. He's going to have a way to talk to them. Just because he's not on the sidelines doesn't mean he's not in the game. But in terms of Vegas odds, Nick Saban's worth three points because that's what the line moved. The line moved three points. Now Alabama is only favored by four and a half. The over on this game is 58. Honestly, I'm hammering home Alabama in the points. I see this as a touchdown, possibly a 10-point game. The fact that that line moved three points, that's three free points that Vegas went ahead and and, and gave out. Yes, Saban is a big factor, but here's the thing. He's still going to be there. He's still going to be influenced. He was there the entire um, the entirety of the week in terms of Zoom meetings and and. Vegas still kind of knew that, you know, yes, he wasn't there yet. It wasn't him actually in person yelling, but it was just him on a computer screen yelling. It was him in meetings telling people what to do. Hey, this is what we need to be doing here. This, 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 that, and the other. That is the reason why this is, you know, people are kind of starting to overlook and I don't think Georgia is really overlooking it. Um, but really the difference is, is Alabama is just kind of more put together than Georgia is. Uh, you know, Georgia has won the past few matchups, you know, in, in terms of the last five, they, you know, they have won, I think two or three of the five. This is a situation where 
their last game against Tennessee, they did play well, and the same um, goes for Alabama against Ole Miss last week. But where the biggest contrast is, is Alabama and Nick Saban. Anytime they play old assistants, old coordinators, Nick Saban has not lost a game. They is 20-0 and against those old assistants, old coordinators. Um, I understand that the three-point line move, I understand him not being there. I still think this is an Alabama team that's just going to absolutely dominate and absolutely control. Now, we'll go ahead and I'll, I'll give three keys to Georgia because, I mean, really, there's not much to discuss in terms of how dominant Alabama is on both sides of the football. They just they match up very well against Georgia. And again, it goes right back to that same notion where Nick Saban squeezes every ounce of talent out of these guys and both both sides of the ball, just pure NFL bodies all the way around. There's 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 no question about that. You're looking at two teams that really have this. I I, I would say all 22 guys can can make it to the NFL, but you know we'll say 20 of the 22. Um, so that's kind of where it's a very even matchup. But just the coaching from the Alabama side is just that good, and how much talent Nick Saban gets out of these kids. There's a reason why we don't see much growth out of Alabama players once they get to the NFL. Nick Saban gets every ounce, every drop of gas out of that gas tank. He gets every um, lick of talent that he can get out of them right then and then. So I think this is ends up being a, a closer game. I think if Nick Saban was on the sidelines, I think there would be a couple things that he might be able to clean up a little bit earlier. Um, but really, this is a situation where Maybe the three points ends up mattering. I think maybe they don't score an extra touchdown later on, but I still have Alabama winning this game by a touchdown. I said even possibly a late field goal to bring it up to 10. But the keys to Georgia being able to win this game comes down to this. Their running game has always been solid. They have to rush the football on Alabama, and it has to start right from the jump. Their first possession on offense, they need to hit Alabama square in the mouth. They need to rush the ball, and they need to put it in, a, in their favor of, hey, this is the type of football we're going to play today. We're going to absolutely control the football. We're going to control the clock. We're going to make this a low-scoring game where we're going to basically keep your offense off the field, and we're just going to try to wear out your defense, drive after drive, and eventually score. It, it needs to be a no three and outs. This needs to be long drives that really wear out that defense, and you can start to take advantage of them later in the game as they do get more worn out. Running the ball, just it, it shows a control factor. Um, and I think if Georgia is able to win the battle at the line of scrimmage and really running the ball will help that because then that opens up the play action. Georgia has to win that battle at the line of scrimmage to make the run game work. If it doesn't happen, Georgia, there's no chance. Now, a second key is you can't allow Alabama to have a big play. You can't you can't give up the big plays down the field. You can't give up the you know the the scramble out of the pocket, out of a sack, chuck a ball down the field, and end up you know with a completion 30, 40 yards down the field and a breakaway. You just can't give up the easy scores. If if they're gonna if they're gonna go down and score, you're gonna make them drive the entirety of the field. No giant chunk plays to, to for free plays. You have to play your absolute best defense. You have to make sure every man is doing their job. And this is a situation where if Alabama breaks off, you know, one, two, three big plays, that starts to hinder the defense. They start to lose confidence. And really if they are able to score on any of those big plays, um, you know, you're you're tossing your defense 
off the field um, and your offense is going back out. And again, you're trying to control the clock. And if it ends up being a situation where you get behind a few scores, now you can't run the ball. Their defensive linemen and their linebackers, they're going to have their ears tucked back. They're going to be coming down full force. They're running downhill. And that becomes very hard for anybody to play, especially from behind and especially behind on this Alabama team. And lastly, get off the field on third down. If you're able to create punts, if you're able to get Alabama's offense off the field on third downs, don't let them convert. That is the best way to win this game. Have your defense. If they get to third down, I don't care if it's third and one, third and inches, third and 15. Whatever you do, get Alabama off the field. Force a punt, force a a long kick. That's fine because that's still at the end of the day better than a touchdown. Don't allow Alabama to get in the end zone. You have to get them off the field on third downs. And again, even if they get down to the red zone, get them, get them to kick a field goal. That's that's still better. Don't allow them in the end zone. And in terms of a reference, the Bears did this to the Bucs. They got Tom Brady off the field on third down. They bend. They didn't break. They allowed a few field goals to go on there. But at the end of the day, they allowed Brady to move the ball up and down the field, but he, at the end of the day, could not score. You have to do the same in this game. Georgia has to get Alabama off the field, create punts, turnovers. Yeah, you can win the turnover battle. That's that's a separate key. But really what matters is getting Alabama off the field on third down. Don't let them start to rack up a bunch of those because that gets downhill from there. Like I said, I still think Alabama is the better team. They've got the better defense, the better offense. Um, the special teams, it, it's kind of a wash there, but I think Alabama definitely controls this one. Um, I think this is another chance for them to prove that they are playoff ready. Again, I've got Alabama winning this one by at least a touchdown. I like Alabama in the points. Um, I don't like the over on this. I really think it's going to be a relatively lower scoring game. I know Alabama just had an absolute track meet with Ole Miss, but I think this one's going to be one where it's going to be a lot closer. It's going to be a very physical game. It's going to be a, a very run heavy to pass, uh, to play action, um, to really open up the passing game. So I will give this one to Alabama in a close one, but it's only going to be close by about a touchdown in a lower scoring game. Now to move on with what was the intro, we've got Louisville on the road at number four, Notre Dame. And... Louisville coming in with a one and three record. Notre Dame is three and zero, and really, Notre Dame—they're a very overhyped program. You kind of get this every year of, oh, they're so good. This is their year. Notre Dame and Texas are the same. Oh, yep, they're back. Up, oh, this is their year. Up, oh, yep, this is them. It, they're back. They're finally. De- and then they'll lose a game to like a Vanderbilt or a Boston College or a Wake Forest or, you know, they lose some one off game against a team who's not very good. And then we all go, yeah, I guess they they kind of are. Notre Dame is going to have to play some real teams here down the stretch after they get into um, some more ACC type play. But Ian Book, he's solid. He averages 200 yards a game. He averages a touchdown a game, and he's only thrown one interception. Now, they're coming off a big win against a Florida State team. They, you know, they won that one 42-26. Really what this is, though, Florida State's not very good. USF that they played early in the year, they beat them 52-0. They're not very good. And a Duke team, they beat 27-13. Duke is not very good. So you've got three wins against 
bad teams, and this team is ranked fourth. Yes, again, it's Notre Dame. They get a lot of top prospects. I don't trust Coach Kelly. I don't trust the rest of their coaching staff. And because I've seen this before, I've seen Notre Dame be be good. I've seen Notre Dame be competitive in, in certain instances. I've seen Notre Dame blow out terrible teams. This is what we see every single year. Now, do I expect them to lose to Louisville? No. Louisville is a good program. It's got talent on there, but the problem is, is their lack of talent is in the wrong areas. They're not very good on the offensive line. They're not very good at linebacker. They're not great at safety. They've got decent wide receivers, and they've got a decent quarterback in Malik Cunningham. The guy is very, very good. He's not Lamar Jackson, but he's still very good. He's still very fast. He can run the RPOs. He can get outside the pocket. He can throw the ball down the field. He can put it in a tight window if he has to. But the problem is, is it's still playing with Louisville receivers, which is the reason why Lamar Jackson didn't get much love. Lamar Jackson had the most drops out of out of his receivers. His completion percentage was was in the was in the fifties, um, and it got almost to sixty percent. But a lot of those came on on drops. of Lamar's incompletions were dropped passes. Think about that for a second. 75% of the drops or of the incompletions were drops by the receivers. That means that Lamar hit a lot of guys in the hands. This is the same thing. Louisville doesn't get the best wide receivers. Louisville doesn't get the best offensive linemen. Louisville doesn't get the best this. They don't get the best that. Imagine if you took a Malik Cunningham and put him down in Miami. That's what Derek King is having to deal with. This guy's playing with phenomenal talent. Imagine if you if you put him at a Clemson. Imagine if you put him at an, an OU. Imagine if you put him at a Texas. Imagine if you put him at a USC. That's the difference that I that I have to give. Malik Cunningham is doing great things with this Louisville team, but the problem is them not being great on the offensive line. He's under pressure all the time. Their running back is good, not great. Their wide receiving core, decent. Their defensive line, they can put some pressure on, but when they have to play a real program, which Notre Dame is, they, they're known for great offensive linemen. I don't see Ian Book being under pressure at all tomorrow. This is a situation he's going to be able to sit back, he's going to be able to throw the ball, he's going to have time, they're going to be able to run the ball. This is one that I don't know how Louisville is really going to get out of. I think they keep it close for the first half. I think for the first little bit, they're going to be able to fly around. They're going to be able to make a couple big plays. But then really after that, it's going to be very downhill for them. Notre Dame's going to win. People are going to go, oh, Notre Dame is so good. And you've got a situation where Georgia's going to lose. So Notre Dame's going to get bumped up one. They're going to move from, from four to three. Notre Dame is not, is not the third best team in the nation. They're really not. Even after Georgia loses, I see Georgia as a better team. Florida, a better team. I think today, I mean, we haven't seen how well OSU can play except for that one game. I think they are better than a Notre Dame. Ohio State, better than Notre Dame. Penn State, better than Notre Dame. Wisconsin, better than Notre Dame. That is the issue that you have with Notre Dame. They get this... I don't even know what type status they get this pass, but they have to play some real teams this year. It's it's a situation where they can't just play Boston College and Wake Forest and and um, St. Mary's School, the blind and and 
this is it's just this list that continually goes on of of bad teams after bad teams after bad teams year after year after year and the problem is they still have that same thing but this year so you've got Louisville which again will it'll be relatively tough in the first half but I think they'll end up playing better cuz Louisville's got a bunch of holes but then they got to play Pittsburgh I think that's a huge chance for them to lose Pittsburgh's a solid team on offensive defensive line that could be a game that Notre Dame could lose. Georgia Tech, eh, Georgia Tech isn't great, but it, they'll give them a scare. They're going to get their, their butts kicked when they play Clemson on November 7th. That's going to be an absolute blowout. You're going to see the difference of how good the top team is versus Notre Dame. Because at this point, so, okay, that's three weeks. Three weeks from tomorrow. They're going to they're gonna beat Louisville. They'll most likely beat Pittsburgh, and they're going to beat Georgia Tech. But then Clemson comes to town, and at this point, I don't see Alabama losing, and Notre Dame's going to be at three. And so Clemson won't lose before then. Alabama won't lose before then. So this is going to be a one versus three matchup. You're going to see how big of a difference it is in those two spots. You're going to see how much of a joke Notre Dame is going to be compared to Clemson. If this was a true one versus three matchup, it would be a very close game. So like that game tomorrow versus Alabama and Georgia, it's going to be a close game throughout the entirety. I just think Alabama ends up being better and then fully pulls away in the, at the end. But a touchdown game is a very close game. This is this is a playoff preview game. This is the type of talent that's going to be playing in a playoff. I don't see Notre Dame having any chance in that game against Clemson. And then they, they get a, a basically a bye the next week because they play Boston College. But then they had to play a very solid North Carolina team. And then they get to wrap up with Syracuse and Wake Forest. But the, I see them getting absolutely blown out in the Clemson game. And that's going to definitely impact their chances and get a, get them bumped back to at least a six or seven spot. And at that point, I think they can also lose to North Carolina two weeks after that. North Carolina isn't great. They're solid, but they're good enough to beat Notre Dame. That's the difference. Notre Dame every year, year after year, always gets to play these cupcake games and they'll lose a cupcake game and that's what ruins their chances. We saw what happened a couple years ago when they got to play in the national championship game. They got absolutely crushed by Alabama. It's a very different standard that people hold Notre Dame to. Notre Dame, they're good, not great. You know what? Could they be a top 25 team? Yeah. But they're a lot closer to a 15 than they are to a 5. And at right now, having them at a 4, I don't see it. I don't see the talent that's there. Ian Book is a solid quarterback. But honestly, he's no better than Brady Quinn. Notre Dame, yes, a top-ranked program gets a lot of talent. But again, they are not a top 10 program. I'd give them a 15 all day, any day. But when you beat bad teams and then you lose to those same bad teams and you don't really compete in some of those games and then you get absolutely blown out when you play a solid team, that's what frustrates frustrates me because they're ranked fourth. I, I know I don't have to watch Ohio State play because they haven't played yet, but they're better than where they're at right now. I want Ohio State at four. I, I can't stand Ohio State, and I want Ohio State at four. That's more justification. I'd want Penn State there. I'd want Wisconsin there. I'd want Florida there. All these teams are better than a Notre Dame. That's what's frustrating. I got them winning tomorrow. I 
probably, so the, the line is 16 and a half. They'll probably win by 12. They'll probably be close in the first half. They probably will trail like seven to three at one point, And then it's going to be, you know, downhill after that. They'll end up winning, but really it's, it's beating a, a, a less talented Louisville team. It's just delaying the inevitable, inevitable when they play Clemson and they get absolutely rolled at home. So moving on, in a non-ranked game, this game is purely based on one side of the football. It's UCF visiting Memphis. And basically what it comes down to is the guy that I see as a left-handed wonder and a kid who has a ton of talent in Dylan Gabriel at UCF. He's in his sophomore year. And he's already thrown this year for 1,155 yards, nine touchdowns, two picks. He had a tough loss last week against Tulsa, 34-26. But before that, they won against Eastern Carolina, 51-28. And then they beat Georgia Tech, 49-21 in their opener. This is a situation where Memphis is a solid football team. They lost it in a very close game to SMU last week, which... That's a that's a very big matchup for them. It's it's a rivalry game between the two of them. There's there's a lot that goes on between SMU and Memphis. That was a very tough game. Also on the road, they lost as a field goal. But before that, they had beat Arkansas State. Memphis has only played the two games. They're one and one. This is a situation where I'm focused purely on Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel is the guy. He's solid. He can be a backup in the NFL, and I think if he had better coaching staff, I think if he went to a better program, that he could be a true NFL prospect. I still think, you know, he's got the full rest of the year to develop. He's got all of next year. I think in his best benefit, I think he should play in college for four years. I think he should play as much as possible, get as much game experience, and then he should give it a shot. I'd like to see him continue to grow. His his growth from last year to this year is already very good. He's in a sense where it is awkward because he is a left-handed quarterback. It, it is different because people always focus on the left tackle. Now with the left-handed quarterback, you have to focus on the right tackle. It's one, you know, he is out of Hawaii. He's, he's, he is talented. I, I'd like to see him continue to grow. He makes these special plays that kind of like, you can compare him to Tua. Tua, I think is, is a lot you know, he's a lot like Tua. I think he's a little bit more aware of he's not as athletic. Um, I think he's not trying to do too many things. Kind of Tua kind of got that that bad vibe a couple of times where he's trying to do too much. I think this is one. Continue to watch this kid. Continue to see him grow. I think it's going to be a phenomenal game on Saturday. I think these two teams match up against each other very, very well. But at the end of the day, I'm more focused. I want to see how well Dylan Gabriel can play. I want to see if he continues to make strides in the right direction. I've already seen, you know, some better growth. I understand they, they did lose to Tulsa last week, but he's made better strides than when he did his, his freshman year. He's not making those those dumb throws anymore. He's being a lot smarter with the football. And this is a chance where if, if you're going to watch and you're going to see someone who has a lot of potential that really needs a chance to grow and continue to see it, Dylan Gabriel's the guy. UCF against Memphis. It's an unranked matchup, but it's an incredible matchup. I like this one a lot. Um, I, I like UCF with a slight edge here on this one. It's um, it's going to be a very close game. It's going to come down to really whoever possesses the ball last. I like UCF on this one, though. I think Dylan does play very well in this game. He understands the matchup. He understands the potential that what this game means for them. I like UCF in this one, but really at the end of the day, I just care about how well Dylan Gabriel plays, and I want to see him continue to grow.
Those are the three games in terms of like a college football Friday. Gosh, I love college football Friday. It gets me so excited, so amped up for tomorrow. But as you know, tomorrow is Saturday, which means that that is the NFL pre-week six special that's going to go on. It is live on both Instagram and YouTube. Got to tune in for that. So the live show tomorrow will be your NFL meat sandwich. It's your NFL pregame. It's your NFL preview, NFL, whatever else you want to call it. It's it's all NFL, full game picks, go through every game, where the Vegas line is at, what storylines I see could happen. But really, at the end of the day, it's about dollars and cents and where the money needs to go, basically, where the lines are, and that is what tomorrow is. All game picks, all the way from Sunday and Monday's games, that's what's going on. But you already know, before we head out of here, you got to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, as well as give a like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and YouTube. So I know you guys heard me today, but I will see you tomorrow as tomorrow is the live show over on Instagram and YouTube as I head out today from a great college football Friday and let you get into your college football Saturday you already know you got to pop in your headphones, lace up your shoes, but then you got to switch up because this is switch up sports. All right, guys, you have a good one. You take it easy. Enjoy your college football tomorrow, and I will see you tomorrow with the NFL Week 6 preview. I'll catch you then. Have a good one.